gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Emergency podcast, first day of the legal tampering period, and we are here with you late night as we record about 10.21 p.m. I think that's early, according to when we said we were going to come on on Connor's tweet. Anyway, the first day of legal tampering was wild across the NFL, and for most of the afternoon, it was torture for Jets fans as players came off the board, but Joe Douglas strikes late to fill key positions Welcome in to the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris, like I said, bringing you late night reaction to the first day of the legal tampering period where the Jets get three key players after missing out a little early. Thanks for joining us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple and review us if you could. Connor, this is a Jets podcast, so let's start with the bad news. That's what we tend to do here, (laughs) and then we'll go on to the good stuff. Um, But early on, I mean, there was panic. Across Twitter for Jets fans throughout most of the afternoon. Uh, Joe Tooney off the board goes to the Chiefs. Five years, $80 million. Corey Lindsley off the board. He goes to the Chargers. Jets fans are thinking, when are we going to get ours? Finally, they did, but it was stressful for a while. Yeah, I hope I don't have the YouTube numbers up, but I also hope that we're going to be getting like a lot of views here because I was the one that kind of convinced us to do that. You guys were like, oh, no, we'll wait. We'll wait till Tuesday morning. We'll give it 24 hours. I was like, no, Jet fans are going to be up. Yeah, no, Jet fans are going to be up. They're going to be ready. They're going to want the immediate gratification of talking about a pretty eventful free agent day. So I'm 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 optimistic that my uh my bet's paying off. We're gonna have to look at this. I know we're on Periscope, it is. right? You're paying you're paying off. Connor's right. Once I, I, again, there we go. Going. Yeah, can you you gotta log on though. You gotta log on to my Twitter and send the tweet out to the YouTube channel because I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of these people are all going to be on the uh on Periscope and not necessarily all right, well, Connor, YouTube. they wa- they want to hear they came here to hear your reaction to Joe Douglas not gloating today. So no. not gloating. They don't want to yeah. hear you gloat. They don't want to hear you know they don't want to hear about your shirt like let's oh let's you don't like that it. i'm sure they do that's blue mountain state i know michael loved it and as soon as i ordered it off amazon it randomly showed up and like my might want to buy but no you guys are right you want to talk about the um kind of the the negative first before we get into the uh the positive of the whole thing and and i think the the two big ones obviously were joe tooney and, and Corey lindsley and i know that and we talked about this beforehand the jets did have interest in 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 tooney he was somebody that they had prioritized he was somebody that they had looked at he was somebody that was the joe douglas guy you know reliable versatile all that stuff uh they didn't though kind of from my understanding it's like i don't think it really went down to the wire too much with them and i think it's because the jets got an inkling that they got an inkling of some of the other teams that were going to be involved and and they realized that if the money was equal between the Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs, no one was going to pick the Jets over the Kansas City Chiefs. If the money was equal between the Jets and the New England Patriots, no one was going to pick the Jets over the New England Patriots. That just that wasn't going to happen. So Joe Tooney's market kind of evolved to a point where the Jets almost pulled themselves out before the end of this thing. I mean, this wasn't something where it went down to the wire with him. It wasn't something where they were like the last team that came in. It was like, oh, we're going to give a boatload of money. Here's, you know, $45 million. It was like they kind of read, they read the landscape. They read it and they were like, we're not, we're, it's, it's not, it's, it's not what's going to happen. It's just, it's just one of the, they read it. And, and the Jets had their reasons for it. They believed that this offense can work. Uh, obviously it's a better offense when you have dominant offensive linemen at every single position, but the Kyle Shanahan scheme doesn't necessarily warrant or require a top tier offensive guard to work. They can make it work without the top tier offensive guard. You know, it's something where 
this can work in, in different ways. You know what I mean? Like they don't necessarily need it. So they kind of bowed themselves out of those sweepstakes because it just didn't uh, develop as they had kind of hoped on the market. And then with Corey Lindsley, I, I talked to, to, to his reps today. I talked to his agent today. And he said the Jets didn't even call him. Like he said, he goes, dude, I didn't even get a call from from the Jets and Corey Lindsay. And I was like, that doesn't really make any sense to me. But I ended up kind of checking in with some people over on on the Jets side of things. And it was basically that they don't see they don't see Connor McGovern as a liability. They see Connor McGovern as a legitimate starting center and a good starting center. They see him as a guy that can run this offense and be a very effective center within this scheme. And they did not believe that the offense would be better moving Connor McGovern to guard. They just saw that as, as I mean, look, you saw the annual, I got to see the actual contract numbers that come out on Lindsley. Cause I'm sure that it's not going to be what it actually looks like right now, but still they were not going to invest that much money in a center to then take their center that they still believe in and invested last year and move him to guard. So of the two, Corey Lindsley, Joe Tooney, the Jets were never in on Lindsley. I mean, literally, they did not call his agent today. There was no phone call from Joe Douglas or Corey Lindsley. The Jets did call uh, Tooney. They were involved in the Tooney sweepstakes, but eventually, I mean, they look, they read the tea leaves and they realized they were not going to be in it. So they missed out on those two guys. And in my opinion, that kind of put a lot of pressure on Joe Douglas because I thought that if Joe Douglas was going into this free agency, he had to accomplish one thing. He either needed to come out with a top-tier pass rusher, a number one wide receiver, and a cornerback and linebacker help. So then he could focus on getting the quarterback at number two, rounding out the roster with best player available, and then focusing on the offensive line in the middle of the rounds with some guards. I thought that's what he had to do. Or he needed to come out with at least Lindsay or come out with at least Joe Tooney and then maybe go like receiver, but not the pass rusher. And then you get the kid from Penn State in the draft. Or maybe you don't get that, but then you go receiver at number 23 or something like that. So the pressure was on Joe when Lindsay went to L.A. and when Joe Tooney went to uh, when Joe Tooney went to the Chiefs, the pressure was on Joe Douglas because now he had to make some diff- make some waves in free agency and gave him a lot of credit because he did. I mean, one after another, it started which or Jared Davis came before the Joe Tooney signing, but he gets the, the the middle linebacker insurance, but also an outside linebacker they believe is going to be great in a 43 scheme. They come back and they get Corey Davis, who I think is going to be a tremendous signing. And they come back and obviously they get now Shaq Lawson and the Jets are not going to be done. I mean, they're not. They're, they're still going to be playing in this pass rush market. They're still looking at corners. I wouldn't rely on Curtis Samuel, all that stuff. So overall opening day of free agency went from, oh no, oh no, oh no, to man, it it, it looks pretty good. All right, so let's get into the the wins, the players they did get. And we'll go chronologically. You mentioned Davis came first, actually, before Tooney even. Um, it's a one-year deal, $5.5 million, $3 million guaranteed. It's an interesting one because it's part of this shift, right? Salah is going to change this team into a 4-3 attack, and he thinks Davis can be a key to that. You look at the numbers in Detroit, Connor, and this is the direction I want to go here. Uh, his second year in Detroit was great, 100 tackles, six sacks. He was kind of a beast. Uh, then it went downhill from there. He really didn't even play that much in 2020. Um, and I read your story reading around. It seems like the Jets are focused on the fact that Matt Patricia is not a good coach. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I looked at because I again, like I don't watch much Lions football, man. I mean, right. I'm not I'm not from Detroit. The team kind of stinks, so they're never really in it. So I you know, I watch I watch the team, the good games, and then obviously the Jets because I cover them. So I know when I first looked at the numbers, I remember he was a first round pick. I remember he, he when when he came out of college, I kind of remembered hearing about him. But 
Looking at the numbers, I saw that that 2018 season, which jumped out. You know, 100 tackles for a middle linebacker is good. Six sacks for a middle linebacker is good. He also had 10 quarterback hits and six pass breakups. He was kind of like a do-it-all, rangy middle linebacker. And you saw the potential from his rookie year numerically and, and PFF grades and stuff like that. You saw what appeared to be a breakout 2018. And then 2019 came and you were like, ugh. And then 2020 came and you were like, ugh. You know, like what the hell happened here? And and. I made some calls to, to people that I know over within the Jets building and it was basically like, look, when I look at this, whoa, you guys just changed the camera angle and I didn't see that one coming. So Marissa's playing with some new tools. because <laughs> We wow, even we even know. warned you. We practiced the move before well, yeah, we started. Yeah, well, you said that when still. I got the, the Davis contract. I got the Davis contract <laughs> just showed up in my inbox. So I was tweeting those numbers out, so I must have missed it, which you can get over. But uh, ooh, yeah, that, that freaked me out for a second. I was like, oh, big Connor on the screen. Man, we're getting real bougie up in here. Um but no, I made some calls to the people that are over there, and I basically was like, look, my I'm looking at these numbers from Davis. My opinion is that this was a guy that showed potential year one, year two. Matt Patricia came in with a brand new scheme with that New England Patriots defense, and things basically just blew up. Davis found himself out of place, and he stopped playing. And that's basically what was relayed for me, is that the Jets believe that this guy is going to blossom in Robert Sala's defensive scheme, that he is going to be a sideline to sideline linebacker where you are going to see range that you didn't know existed in Detroit. I mean, this guy is going to be used in so many different ways. He obviously can start at middle linebacker if the Jets want to explore a a CJ Mosley trade. But from my understanding, that was more teams calling the Jets on CJ Mosley than the Jets shopping CJ Mosley. But you know, Joe Douglas, so he's always going to answer the phone. Uh, but more than anything, he's probably going to slide in there at, at Sam, and he's going to play that strong side linebacker. And and now the Jets kind of have three pieces that they can work with at linebacker. And I think they're still going to add somebody in the draft. They're probably still going to add another veteran free agent because I don't think you can rely on Blake Cashman. But you do have somebody in Blake Cashman who is a uh, looks and has the build of a prototypical weak side linebacker in a 43 scheme. You now have a guy in Jared Davis who can play strong side linebacker. And you have C.J. Mosley, who, when he's healthy, is one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL. And, and you hope that he can get back to that form that he showed pre-injury. So Jared Davis, I, I think, could go down as one of those signings that no one's going to talk about. Because people are going to remember it as the one that came right before Tooney went and signed with the Chiefs. And and when Lindsley went and then you know Corey Davis followed and Lawson followed and whatever else is going to follow in the draft. I think he's kind of get, get lost in translation. But for what the Jets got him for, it's a one-year deal, $5.5 million, includes a fully guaranteed $3 million base salary and a $2.5 million signing bonus. So a $5.5 million cap hit, and you can get another $1.5 million tied to playing time incentives. So, I mean, that's not a big deal. That's kind of like a prove-it contract given to a guy that has a ton of talent, is athletic as hell, and you can kind of see what he does once he uh, once he gets a chance to take off. So I, I kind of I like that deal. And again, it's it's a player that the Jets believe is going to get into this system, and he is going to blossom, and he's going to thrive, and he's going to do some really good things uh, for Robert Sala. Well, you mentioned Mosley and you know them being paired off as linebackers together, but there's also all this talk about people calling the Jets and. We now know Joe Douglas always picks up the phone. <laughs> yeah. uh, CJ Mosley getting some attention from other teams, which when you look at the contract is kind of tough to understand considering, you know, he played the three quarters. He, he opted out of 2019. But, you know, is there is there more than just a little smoke there about a, a potential CJ Mosley trade? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that, look, I, teams are calling the Jets about him. The Jets aren't shopping him. And I don't know if this is going to be so like Jamal Adams reminiscent, but the Jets obviously are probably more apt to trade CJ Mosley now than they were Jamal Adams during that trade deadline. And it's just going to be a matter of, of getting over those hurdles. 
Uh, because right now, like this season, Mosley isn't a financial burden. I mean, if the Jets were to trade CJ Mosley, they would incur a $6 million cap penalty. They would free $1.5 million. So that's not absurd. Even the team that's acquiring CJ Mosley is only going to have to pay. He's only going to have like a $6 million cap hit, if I'm not mistaken, for this year to the acquiring team. So that's not crazy money, especially not if you're getting the CJ Mosley that played for the Baltimore Ravens and, and the first three quarters of the 2019 season. The problem with CJ Mosley is that next year he's owed eight. He's got a $16 million base salary. $8 million of that is guaranteed already. And another $8 million becomes guaranteed on, on the fifth day of the new league year, if I'm not mistaken. So even if a team acquires CJ Mosley and they're like, all right, it's a one-year thing, then we'll cut him next year. You're still going to be eating an $8 million cap penalty, which, which I don't think teams are going to be willing to do. So in order for a trade to get done, I think you're either going to have one, the Jets have to agree to eat some of that contract, which I don't necessarily know is something Joe Douglas is going to want to do. I don't think he's going to want to pay for CJ Mosley to go play for somebody else. This isn't like a C, this isn't like a Le'Veon Bell type situation where Mosley is a distraction. He's not. So I don't think that's going to happen. Or you'd have to have CJ Mosley take a pay cut, which if you're CJ Mosley, why would you take a pay cut? Like you're, I mean, you worked your whole life for this massive contract. You get it. You're the highest paid inside linebacker in the NFL. Why are you going to, like, why would you do that? So uh, in my opinion, I, I think it's probably more calls are going to be made. I would, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't think it's impossible, but I wouldn't necessarily say a, a, a CJ Mosley trade is super, super likely at this point in time. But we'll see what happens as, as kind of free agency moves along. And if the Jets do decide to move them, they at least have somebody now in, in Jared Davis who they believe can can make uh, can make something happen for them. All right, so Jared Davis, a nice piece, but that did certainly didn't win back Jets fans uh, on this first day of free agency. It was like, <laughs> no. okay, well, we're on the board at least, uh, but there's still work to be done. The next step was a wide receiver where they get Corey Davis, uh, three-year deal for the former Titan, $37.5 million. And here's a guy who, it's kind of di- the opposite of Jared Davis, right, who had a great 2018 slid off. You look at Corey Davis, fifth overall pick in that same 2017 draft, and he's a guy who peaked in 2020, uh, almost got over the 1,000-yard mark, 65 catches. Would have and he's a guy who seems to be coming games. into his own. Yeah, he, he would he would have been a 1,000-yard receiver if right. he played 16 games. And I, like, what's sad is that if he did have like 1,100 yards or he did have something like that, he's probably getting another 4 or $5 million this year because be like, oh, you were 1,000 yards. It's, it's wild how the NFL works. But no, that this is a signing that I liked a lot. And and I did a, a Instagram chat with, um, what was it? Lo- I think it's Loyal Jet Fans, I think is the name of it. Um, the Loyal Jet Fan Network. I want to give him a plug. Uh, I was on there and we, we were talking about receivers and, and where the Jets going to make a run. And I said, I was like, look, I, I think the Jets are going to be in on receivers. They need to add a receiver. I just didn't necessarily see the Jets playing in the Kenny Galladay market. And the reason why I say that is Kenny Galladay is a number one receiver. He is. He's a number one receiver. No one's going to doubt that. But he's not like top five, top 10, number one receiver. And when you get into free agency and you're that receiver on the free agent market, you're probably going to get a contract that is paying you by a little bit more than what you were. And I I didn't necessarily see Joe Douglas going into that 18, 19, 20 million annually per year for a receiver, it's just it's just not something that I necessarily saw him doing. I didn't think he'd go that high. Uh, if if Kenny Galladay's market doesn't necessarily develop and it goes down into maybe fourteen million or fifteen million per year, there's no reason why Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas can't jump back in there and, and suddenly add him and have Corey Davis and have Denzel Mims. I mean, they need receivers, whether it's for Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, or Sam Darnold. They need guys. So, um, 
He was somebody that, that I think we identified pretty early on as a potential target. And I think he's a very, very good target. And the reason I say that is, I mean, he's an ascending player. That's what he is. I mean, when you see a guy, he's a little bit slow on the uh, on the developing in terms of like, um, he, he didn't look that great his first three years in the league, bursts out this year. But you look at the way that he played last season, he kind of fills a need for what the Jets need. And he fills a role of what they don't necessarily have because... Jamison Crowder, I mean, look, the Jets could go the Juju Smith-Schuster route, still sign him, put him in the slot, and then you have Jamison Crowder cut and whatever. But you know, for, we'll just take the Jets' receiving core for what it looks like right now. You have Corey Davis outside because that's where he played like something like 390 of his 400 snaps last year. or something. He played like all but 80 snaps, like all but 80 passing snaps at outside receiver last year. That's what he's going to play with the Jets. So you got Corey Davis outside one side. You have uh, Denzel Mims outside one side, Jamison Crowder in the slot. Duh. Denzel Mims showed a lot of promise for the Jets last year. He did. He was uh, explosive at times. He showed uh, the ability to high point the ball. He was really good at contested catches. He was good at stretching the field. Coming out of Baylor, though, Denzel Mims was not considered a fine-tuned route runner. In fact, he was somebody that a lot of people believed was going to be primarily a linear receiver. You know, somebody that's going to stretch the field, not really a route technician. You know, he can develop and get better, but that was not his skill set. That's not what Corey, that, that's the basically the opposite of Corey Davis. Corey Davis coming out of Western Michigan was considered the pass runner like, or the, the route runner. He was considered the absurd route runner. Uh, I actually just saw a video after the Jets signed him. Some Jet fan retweeted it onto my timeline of uh, Chad Johnson, who's, who's known as one of the best route runners to, to ever live, uh, crying. I don't know how much of it was fabricated, but literally crying as he was apparently watching Corey Davis run routes. That's how impressed he was with this guy. Um He's kind of taken that persona coming out of Western Michigan, though, and developed it. I mean, Cynthia Freeland uh, had the the statistics where when he lined up outside last year, I'm reading them off here, Cynthia Freeland, we've had her on the podcast before. She's awesome with the analytics and stuff. He averaged 2.8 yards per route, which was fifth most among qualifying receivers, which is a direct relation uh, or indirect relation to a really good route runner. So what the Jets now have is a player that they have outside Mims, who is a tremendous route runner and really makes his money with those routes between 0 and 20 yards. In fact, 58 of uh of Corey Davis's 79 targets were within that 0 to 20 yard that 0 to 20 yard range. That's exactly where a West Coast scheme, which is what Michael LaFleur is going to implement is going to feast. So the Jets now have a top-tier route runner who's going to feast in those short to medium routes to pair with their slot receiver in Jamison Crowder to pair with their their stretch the field linear guy in uh, in uh, Corey Day or um, Denzel Mims, and obviously the Jets are still kind of talking to Brashad Perryman to potentially bring him back as a stretch the field guy. They'll probably still target a receiver in the second or third round of the draft. But if the Jets were not going to go the Allen Robinson route, if the Jets were not going to go the uh, Kenny Galladay route, which obviously Allen Robinson was never an option because he was tagged, and Kenny, Kenny Galladay to this point maybe has been a little bit too expensive, I thought Corey Davis was the best of the next. I liked him more than Kendrick Bourne. Uh, I liked him a lot more than Juju Smith-Schuster. I, I liked him more of all of those second-tier guys. I think he's got a lot of potential. He fits really good within this offense. And he's going to be a great weapon, whether it's for Zach Wilson, Fields, or or Darnold. So there's a lot of questions in the chat about the other guys. And does this mean that they're they're out on everybody else? Juju, in no. particular, popping up a lot. Could they go and get another receiver to add into the mix? Yeah, I... I I checked in actually because I, I keep I've said this before like Juju just doesn't strike me as a uh, as a as a um, Joe Douglas guy right I mean he's like the TikTok king and he's dancing on logos before and he's saying you know as Marissa and I think as the uh, 
the more or soon to be done household would know quite well. The Browns is the Browns quote, I think got quite, quite a bit of play over there. And, and is probably something that might still be plastered on your, on your mirror that Michael likes to look at every morning. So <laughs> that doesn't necessarily strike me as a guy that, that the Jets would necessarily want to target. So I reached out to some people over there to kind of like touch upon it. And basically the, the answer that I couldn't get a straight answer from anyone back other than talent trumps all. That, that basically, like, eventually you do need playmakers, and, and yeah, you take all those things, you take personality, you take off-field concerns, you take all those things into consideration, but at the end of the day, if the guy can help you win football games, you're going to, I mean, within reason, like, obviously, domestic issues, like, that's immediately off the table for anyone with the Jets, they're not going to have anyone like that, but you're going to make it, you're going to find a way to make it work. I lean towards no, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, juju to the Jets, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I, I'm not willing to rule it out yet. I'm not willing to say it's not going to happen because of the flexibility that the Jets have with Jameson Crowder. I mean, they're already paying their slot receiver $10.5 million this year. If they believe that Juju Smith-Schuster is a significant boost over Jamison Crowder and he's only going to cost maybe 2 or $3 million more annually per year... Why wouldn't you let Jamison Crowder go, recoup that money, put it into a player that now you know is going to be better? So I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. Uh, I don't think it's in. I don't think it's uh, likely, but I also don't think it's impossible if that makes sense. In fact, the the guy that I do believe is probably more likely than that is is Curtis Samuel. I, th- I think he's probably the guy that I see fitting into this equation better than Juju would have, and better than anyone else because the Jets are one of those teams. This is something that I've been told over and over and over again is. The Jets are one of the few teams that's in the financial that that has the financial flexibility this offseason to add somebody that is not necessarily a receiver, nor is he a running back. He's a both. He's a slasher. He's a Debo Samuel. The guy had 800 receiving yards and 200 rushing yards. I think it was three receiving touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns. I mean, he's a guy that you put the ball in his hand and good things happen. Because of how many teams are are tight against the cap and because of how many teams are are kind of in cap turmoil. Not too many teams have the luxury of being able to sign somebody that is that slasher. The Jets now do. And after signing Corey Davis, when you now have Corey Davis one side, Denzel Mims the other side, Jamison Crowder in the middle, you can now though go, go and pursue a Curtis Samuel and have him be your X factor. The guy that is in the backfield one play, then he's in the slot the next, then he's outside. The guy you're handing it to, throwing it to, getting the ball on screens, putting him in the backfield with Ty Johnson or Josh Adams and running them both out and just doing all these wild and creative things, almost like a significantly better Ty Montgomery that we saw in training camp before Adam Gase forgot he was on the roster for 16 weeks. So <laughs> I think we'll be able to to kind of, I think he would be the best of the next receivers that are there. I know people want Juju and blah, 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 all this stuff. I think that Curtis Samuel is the best option. Now, obviously, the Jets are going to have competition for him. He's a good player. He's why. I mean, I, I know that he seems like a Patriot fiddle. A Patriot's probably not anymore, having signed Bourne and Aguilar. But I think he's somebody that I would keep an eye on because he makes a lot of sense. He's a scheme fit. He would fill the Debo Samuel void that the Jets do not have when the when the 49ers grabbed Debo and you saw what he was able to do the year they went to the Super Bowl. And then, obviously, he had the, the injury shortened year this year. I think he's somebody that that makes a little bit more sense for me, especially now with Corey Davis. And if the Jets were to go get Curtis Samuel, I think it kind of opens up what they can do in the draft because now you can spend a lot more time on the uh, on the running backs. All right, we're going to get to Carl Lawson as well. Lyman, but first sorry, we not ha- running backs. I said running backs. They're not drafting a running back in the first, second round. Good. 
All right. One more signing to, to talk about, and that is Carl Lawson, another guy in that 2017 draft, actually, but a fourth-round pick um, who has become a good edge rusher, and now he's going to be rushing the edge for the Jets. Three years, $45 million, Connor, $30 million guaranteed. Uh, you look at 2020 for Lawson, 36 tackles, five and a half sacks. Not his best year as far as getting to the quarterback, but 32 quarterback hits, two forced fumbles as well. Um we talked about it going into this that the Jets probably not going to be on in on Ngakwe, not the kind of guy they'd be after. Bud Dupree coming off the injury made him questionable as well. So when you look at Lawson, was he pretty much at the top of their board? Yeah, he was. I yeah. mean, he, he was the guy at the top. They also like Trey Hendrickson a lot. Um, the I, I think they actually envision trying to get them both. Um, to have one start on the right side, one start on the left side. Obviously, the, the you saw the deal that Hendrickson just got from the Bengals. I mean, it'd be kind of tough to, to front that from both Lawson and Hendrickson. I mean, it was just going to be too much money. But, um, yeah, look, he was the guy that was at the top of their board. And the way that the Jets view him, and they look at him, and I talked to some people over there, he's basically a guy that just gets to the quarterback. And I know that the the sack numbers aren't necessarily there. I mean, he's never had more than eight in a season. That came his rookie year. He had five and a half this year, five the year before, or, or I might have the half sack flipped between the years. But you read off those quarterback hit numbers, Tim. You read off the quarterback pressures, the quarterback hurries, the, the disruptions that he gets. It's not just the Jets. I've, I've talked to several other people around the NFL that compare this guy to Shaq Barrett. And, and they view him as somebody – like when you look at Shaq Barrett's career – he had those like he was kind of like a, a rotational player that showed some promise, but really didn't make a difference when he was with Denver. The Buccaneers sign him, he gets a chance to start, and he erupts for 19 and a half sacks. And and I'm not saying that that Lawson's gonna have 19 and a half sacks next year. I mean, maybe if he does, I, I look like Houdini right now. But I mean, I I don't think that's gonna happen. Or not 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 Houdini. He's a genius. Who's give me a philosopher or some pr- famous predictor? I don't know. My head's Nostradamus. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I've been staring at this computer screen for like the last since 8 a.m. or so. I don't know. My head hurts. Um, but yeah, so like he's not some, I mean, you look at the number of hits that he gets though. What the Jets view this guy as is a quarterback disruptor. They view him as somebody that finds a way to get to the quarterback, disrupts him, and they think that in Salah's defense, he, like Jared Davis, is going to just blossom and explode. And he's going to have a similar career trajectory to Shaq Barrett and that he gets his opportunity. He gets his second stop. He gets in a scheme that's better suited to his talents with maybe a better defensive coaching staff. And he really blossoms and comes into his own and, and they're high on him and they didn't give him the contract that they gave him if they were not high on him. And it's going to be fun to watch this guy because I think what is going to help him so much as well is who he's lining up next to. You know, he's going to be playing next to Quinn and Williams. He's going to be the Leo. Quinn is going to be three technique. You're going to have Foley Fatukasi as the two inside nose tackle. And then you're going to have your strong side defensive end, which is probably going to be a rotation of John Franklin Myers and Jabari Zunanga. You know, the guy that's got the capability of playing defensive end and running situations, flipping inside to the two, two inside to kind of be like that extra, the Justin Tuck, Brandon Graham type player. Uh, when that, when it's an obvious passing situations and the jets will put another speed rusher outside. A guy they either draft in the first round and, and Jason with the kid from Penn State or the second round or something like that. But he's not going to see too many double teams when he's lining up next to Quinn and Williams. And if Lawson really starts getting going, Quinn and Williams is suddenly not going to see so many double teams because teams are going to have to to play next to Carl Lawson. And they're going to see these two guys really reach their potential. They're going to see these two guys really take off. You're going to see these two guys feed off of each other and finally 
Finally, finally, I can stop writing this goddamn sentence and it's literally going to be in the story and I'm so happy that I'm writing it. And, and literally my lead for this is the Jets have not had a, a, a an edge rushing threat and I know people are probably going to get on my ass for this, but the Jets have not had an edge rushing threat since John Abraham. And the very next sentence is, this might be the last time you have to read that sentence because the Jets have finally gone out of their way to go and find a legitimate dominant edge rusher and they believe that they have it they see this guy as somebody who has not even scratched the surface of his potential they see him as a guy that's going to blossom in this defensive scheme and they see him as a guy that just disrupts the quarterback and that's what the Jets need from the defensive end and and when Salah had his introductory press conference and he said I'm going to be running a 43 defense not 34 I'm going to be running a 43 I'm going to be running the same scheme that I ran in San Francisco the Top thing on Joe Douglas's shopping list and the, and the top must do for Joe Douglas this offseason became getting an edge rusher and getting a pass rusher. And basically, the Jets needed their Nick Bosa to make this Robert Sala scheme work. There is no third Bosa brother, and I've made that comment before, but there's no third Bosa brother in the NFL draft this year. There was a loaded free agent class of pass rushers, so the Jets pivoted and they said, all right. We're going to go find our pass rusher in free agency. And this guy was the one that they've, uh, Lawson was the one that they kind of singled out. Lawson was the one that they hung their hat on and said, this is the guy we want to go get. And by getting him, they kind of complete that defensive line, or at least they give Salah a defensive line that's pretty decent to work with and pretty good to work with. Now, what I will say is I don't think that the Jets are done with the defensive line. And the reason why I say that, I don't think the Jets are done adding pass rushers. And the reason that I say that is you look at this 49er defense when it was at its best. And this 49er defense, when it was at its best, was in that 2019 season when they went to the Super Bowl. That defense had Bosa, Eric Armstead, DeForest Bunkner, Solomon Thomas, DeMontre Moore, the former Giant pick that kind of came out of nowhere, and then they traded for D Ford. That was a front loaded with first round picks that was a front loaded with talent that was a front loaded with aside from more basically five or six guys that could get you 10 sacks themselves in a season possibly 12 13 14 sacks themselves I mean Thomas Armstead Buckner those guys are dominant you throw Bosa and Ford in the mix I mean it was just unbelievable and the 49ers you go back and you look at their drafts it was pass rusher defensive lineman defensive lineman pass rusher pass rusher over and over and over again so Lawson is a big step. Lawson is a piece the Jets had to have, but I don't think that they are done. I think they can still go into free agency and now maybe look for a pass rushing specialist to be that D Ford substitute edge rusher when the Jets are in obvious passing situations. So they can take John Franklin Myers and move him over and take Foley off the field or move Jabari Zuninga in and take Foley off the field and then bring you know, hypothetically speaking, Hassan Reddick in and be that guy. I mean, I think they'll look to do that and they can look at it in free agency. If the market starts to slow and guys start looking for one-year deals and, and guys like Salah, I mean, they could go that route or they could look towards the draft where I said they've, they've been the, the Penn State pass rusher, Jason Owens, he's been mocked to them over and over and over again. I saw something where he ran like a 4 3 8 40 or something like that at a pro day when he was warming up. I mean, he's going to be absurd. He might be an option at 23 or the Jets can look for a speed rusher in the second round or the third round. I mean, they're not done 
adding to this defensive front because when this defense works best, it's when you have guys that can constantly get to the quarterback all by themselves and you put them all together and they are just a ferocious beast that you cannot stop. So uh, this was a major first piece in doing it. The Jets are a hundred times better today than they were 24 hours ago, but they are absolutely not done in no way, shape or form. All right, Marissa, any, uh, anything going on in the chat that we could get to any other little topics that people want to hear about? Yeah, lots of good questions. Um, this one's from Mitchell. What is the corner cornerback market looking like for the Jets? Uh, Sherman's obviously going to be the one that everyone talks about. Kwan Williams, the Jets have interest in, although he's kind of like a second wave guy. I was talking to his representation yesterday, um, and they were saying that you know they've talked to the Jets, they've had interest from the Jets. Um, their big thing though is that they he, like Kwan's probably a second wave guy. Like he's the first wave, second wave, then then they'll start getting to him. He's a nickel guy, can play inside. Uh, so he would probably be a little bit of an upgrade over Brian Poole, or if anything, I mean, it would be a drop-off from Brian Poole. So he's there. Uh, Richard Sherman is going to be the one that everyone kind of signals to and hangs their hat on. The big thing with Richard is just going to be, what does he want at this stage in his career? Does he want to go to a team where he has a chance to chase a Lombardi trophy? Does he want a team where he's going to play? Does he want to go be reunited with Robert Sala? I don't know. I mean, if he wants a Super Bowl within the next one or two years, he's probably not coming to the Jets who are still going to be a rebuilding team. So I, I don't, he makes a lot of sense in terms of the Jets have a whole, he'd be a great leader and he obviously has a great relationship with Sala. But the flip side of that is, does Richard Sherman want to spend the last two years of his career kind of being a mentor instead of chasing, you know, a second ring to put on his finger, but he'll be there. Uh, Shaq Griffin would be a scheme fit for this one. The, the thing that and I, I've talked to, to several talent evaluators about this and, and executives and pro personnel guys, about this and, and they said like the the big benefit of Salah's defense by running that like two high zone thing that he's going to run um one high two high zone it makes a cornerback's life a lot easier I mean they don't necessarily need to man up on the outside and go you know crazy you know th this is not what that's going to have to be this will the, by running a zone coverage you can make good cornerbacks look very good you can make bad cornerbacks look competent I mean you can get away with some stuff so I think it'll help less Austin I think it'll help Bryce Hall but the Jets will add people the biggest issue uh I think Mitchell is the one who asked this is what it says on the bottom. I mean, the biggest issue, Mitchell, is just that there's there's not that great corner on the market. You know, there is no Corey Davis at corner. There is no Carl Lawson at corner. There's not even really a Jared Davis at corner. I mean, it's just, it's just a very weak free agent corner class, which is why I think you didn't see anyone really get signed. So there are guys that are there. Like, I think they'll, they'll make some calls to Griffin, although I haven't been able to confirm that yet. Obviously, Sherman, if he wants to play here. But I think you're probably going to find the corners in the draft. I think number 20, now that the Jets have Lawson, it opens up them drafting a corner at number 23. If they trade Sam Darnold, they have an extra second round pick or a late one, they can use that for a corner. I mean, I think that's probably where the Jets are going to find the 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 best option a corner just because free agency is a little weak. They'll still add someone. They'll still sign someone. But it's not, I, I don't think you're going to see them throw like big money or anything like that. They'll find somebody. It's just, I, I think their better bet's going to be the draft just because free agency is pretty weak at that position. All right, we have another one. Um, another conversation that is never too far, right, from from Jets fans is the that evil team up in New England, the Patriots, who also had a just a crazy day today. I, I mean, it's. I will say this: when you look at the moves the Jets made, I thought when you look at the dollar amounts, they seemed to make sense. They filled needs. When you look at the Patriots, it was so just out of character for Bill Belichick, who's used to waiting out the market, getting guys for, for cost-effective deals days later. They overspent for some guys to, to bring in a whole bunch of guys on day one. Were you, were you surprised, Connor, at the, um, 
the word I'm looking for, the the speed and volume of Patriots activity on day one? Yeah, I was. I mean, it kind of said, I like, I like, I like, I like the Matt Judon signing a lot. Um, I like the, the Nelson Aguilar signing. I, I, I actually think he's going to be a hell of a player. I mean, his biggest issue, like Aguilar, I mean, he had a good season with the Raiders and also that season, I know he had a bunch of drop problems in Philly, but that season where the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, I mean, they don't go to the Super Bowl without Nelson Aguilar. They, they don't, they don't get there without him and they probably don't win the Super Bowl without him. I mean, he's a good player. He's just a slot receiver. And then for whatever reason, the Eagles like stopped playing him in the slot his like last year, two years there. And he got into a funk again and they ended up letting him go. He went back to playing in the slot in Oakland or LA, sorry, or Vegas. I'm sorry. And he ended up having a really good season. So I actually like that signing a lot. Uh, I was a fan of Kendrick Bourne too, because I think he's kind of like a high upside guy. So that one makes a lot of sense. Jalen Mills surprised me a little bit. And and some of the other signings that they made just with, I mean, really, I mean, Henry Anderson on the two-year deal, but I will stress this, and I stress this anytime contracts come out. Wait till you see the final details. I mean, like Jalen, I think they gave Jalen Mills like a four-year, $24 million deal, if I'm not mistaken. But like, I think eight or nine million of that is the only thing that's guaranteed. So four for 24 looks juicy, but that might just be really a one-year contract that has like two million guaranteed next year that they can eat. I mean, it's a $2 million cap hit and you free the rest. So uh, it was a lot more aggressive than I thought. I think it was Bill Belichick kind of saying... I think it was Bill Belichick being a little embarrassed by what Tom Brady did last year and wanting to kind of <laughs> well seven get and nine going. too, right? Seven and yeah, nine. Yeah, I, I think well. he was pissed. Yeah, and I think that that didn't sit well with him, like you said. So I think he kind of geared up and got it running again. Um, but but yeah, I was I was surprised. I, I I mean, there was a couple. Like I said, I like Judon. I like Aguilar. I like Bourne. I mean, some of the other ones just didn't didn't make too too much sense for me. But I'll be totally honest with you, Tim. Like it, they could sign all of free agency. It's not going to matter if they get the Cam Newton they got last year. I was about like, to say could, that. Yeah, That's... like that quarterback. Like, Cam stunk last year. Yeah. And in my opinion, Cam stunk for several years. He hasn't been a good player. I mean, I've watched Cam Newton play quarterback. He doesn't. I mean, he's missed bouncing balls. To, I mean, he's the the first game, the first Jets Patriots game. It was like Cam didn't want to win. I mean, they want like the the Patriots won, but they barely won, and it was when the Jets were still like in the height of tanking mode. So I, I just, I don't think they have a quarterback right now. I don't think they have a good quarter. I don't think Cam Newton's any good. I really don't. I know they resigned him, but like, I don't think that justifies him being a good quarterback. And I don't think the Patriots issues on offense last year were like, oh, we've got the quarterback. We don't have anything else. So I think that their problem's quarterback. They don't have one and they still don't have one. And until they get one, it's, gonna, it's not gonna matter who they sign. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they if he is there as the mentor and they're going to draft somebody, try to maybe trade up and get get a Trey Lance or somebody like that, or if they have something else going in the trade market. But it's hard to imagine bringing him back on another one-year deal that that he's the answer because you have to think a little more long-term now if you're the Patriots. You can't be just thinking year to year, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, they made a lot of signings. They're definitely better than they were going into the day, and and I think so are the Jets. So I think it's a good day to be a Jet fan. It was a rough morning. It was a, it was a rough afternoon. Uh, things get going here late, though, and we appreciate everybody staying up extra late to be on the podcast if you're listening to the stream live. If you're checking it out on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, thanks for tuning in there as well. If you want a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait Podcast. Right now you can join for just $3.99 a month. So a lot of great deals there, plus the Bet MGM deal if you want to go a different direction. Uh, if the Jets make another splash, seems like they made a lot of the big splashes out of the way, but if they strike again, we'll be back with you. Either way, we'll have a full recap of, of free 
free agency coming up on the Can't Wait podcast. Thanks for joining us.